What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. J.J. Cooper and Ben Badler joining you today as we continue our look through the American League West Top 10 Prospects. Today we're talking Texas Rangers. Ben Badler wrote our Texas Rangers Top 10 and the Top 30 that will be in the Prospect Handbook that is finished and is at the printer, so we are in the process. It's not that far away from you getting your hands on the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. If you haven't gotten your hands on the if you have not ordered your Prospect Handbook yet, baseballamerica.com slash store and you uh, can order it now and that if you do it that way you will not only be the first to get your hands on the Baseball America Prospect Handbook because we get it and we can ship it out literally weeks before anyone else even gets it and can start uh, shipping our orders but also you get the supplement you get an additional prospect for every team we do the 31st prospect for every team in a supplement as well but Ben as we look at the Rangers right now, they here they sit, as they do seemingly most every year, um, heading into 2017, and you have to look at them, I would say, as, as kind of obviously one of the contenders in what looks to be, especially with the moves the Mariners are making, a, a very competitive American League West. Yeah, I think they are, they are going to be the, the favorites to win that division again. I think they've done a... A really nice job of, of building a club, combining pretty much every avenue of, of talent acquisition. They've, uh, you know, guys from from the draft, guys from international free agency, guys from trades, uh, you know, major league uh, free agents too. They've they've really done a a good job combining pretty much every avenue of talent acquisition. Uh, you can go through to to build that club. And you look at it right now, one of the things that that does mean that the Rangers have been pretty busy on the trade market recently, a couple of really massive trades. I mean, the Cole Hamels trade, obviously one from from two years ago that that is still paying dividends for them. And that way, at the same time, it did cost a significant amount of uh, prospect talent. And then we look at last year, obviously, the Jonathan Lucroy trade is another one that it, it was a costly trade as far as prospects, but at the same time, they, they got Jonathan Lucroy in the deal. Um, it, it does feel like, though, when you look at this Rangers top 10 right now, it's probably about as thin as it's been in a, in a pretty long while, isn't it? Oh, yeah, no doubt. It's, this is typically the, the Rangers have ranked among the top 10 farm systems in, in, in our farm system rankings uh, just about every year. Now this year, you can see their their system is probably a bottom ten type farm system, uh, but there's still a surprising amount of depth there, given all of the 
the trades that they've made. I mean, they've they've made trades to <laughs> that have you know that have thinned out the farm system considerably. That's going to happen when you trade four first round picks uh, and and make other trades, dealing away guys, uh, you know, like Dylan Tate or or Marcos Deplon or uh, some of the other moves they've made, but they're doing it to get frontline major league players and, and those players who are controlled for multiple years. It's, you know, all right, Carlos Beltran, yeah, that was a rental, but uh, Cole Hamill, Jonathan Lucroy, these are two of the best players at their positions in baseball, and the Rangers have them under control for multiple seasons. So uh, if you're going to, you know, use your use your trade ships, those are the guys to be using them for to – to bring back now, obviously you look at what's left in in the minor league system, and it's it's certainly thinned out. I mean, Leody Tavares is their number one prospect. Uh, I, I really like Leody Tavares. Uh, he was our I think number two or three international prospect uh, the year he signed. He's come as advertised, if, if not better. Uh, in fact, I'd probably say he would be even a little bit better uh, than advertised. The defense has, has got really Strong reviews in, in pro ball uh, after getting some mixed reviews on that as he when he signed out of the Dominican Republic. But uh, is he a top 50 prospect in the game? Uh, you know, probably, maybe, maybe, maybe not. He's kind of right on that cusp, I think. Uh, and then who else do they have in in their top 100 in a top 100 list? You know, he might be. The only guy maybe can make a case for uh, a Johan Mendez or Ariel Verano, but I think realistically, you know, there's probably only one top 100 guy. So it's certainly thinned out, but the you know the goal is to use the farm system to help the major league club, whether it's bringing up homegrown talent or using those guys in trades to get back frontline guys like Luke Roy and and Cole Hamels to to help the major league team. So. I think uh, all the trades that they made are pretty understandable uh, and, and really are, are helping them contend, you know, at the time they made the trade and then going forward in the future, too. Well, and the other thing about the Rangers right now is is that they're well-positioned from the standpoint of that they don't have a whole lot of needs at the big league level that you look at, okay, they need a prospect to step in here, there, and there. They, they've had a little bit almost, to be honest, I think the... They've got a couple of no longer prospects that are, I think, probably more vital to the 2017 team than, than really most of the, the farm system is. You, know, you look at, what are we going to see from Jerks and Profar? Is he going to be get somewhere back to where he was pre-multiple injuries? What are we going to get from Joey Gallo? Is Joey Gallo going to be a guy who, is he going to be Chris Carter? Is he going to be worse? Is he going to be better? You know. There, there's a lot of questions like that, or, which are guys who aren't prospects anymore, but at the same time could play important roles on the on this 2017 club. Yeah, I think those are those are two huge X factors for them, and like it's a lot of it's a lot of risk with both guys. You know, risk. You know, we talk about risk with you know, somebody like Leody Tavares is you know an extremely risky player because he's so far away. Uh, so it's a little bit different. We're talking about two guys who are, you know, actually, you know, on the the major league roster right now in terms of risk. But 
uh, Profar for obvious reasons, having missed so much time due to injury, but he's still, you know, 23, 24 years old. Uh, we've seen the talent from him when he is healthy. Is there a breakout waiting to happen? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to know what to project from him going forward, but obviously the underlying talent that we, we, we've seen the underlying talent there uh, in the past to, to think that, yeah, maybe there's a chance that this guy is, is still pretty young. Uh, there's still a chance that he could have that breakout season. Joey Gallo, uh, you know, it, health is not the issue with him. The issues with him, obviously, are, are all the strikeouts. And he has enormous power. He offsets some of the strikeouts with walks. Uh, but he has to be able to, to put the ball in play more and and cut down on on the swing, which is always going to be a challenge for him. He's always going to have uh, a lot of strikeouts, but he's got to get it to a more manageable rate. Now, I think at some point he's things are going to click for him, and he's going to be a guy who can hit in the middle of the lineup. The question is, is that going to be in 2017, or is that going to be in 2000? 2021. Is he going to be on the Chris Davis plan, basically? Where? Yeah, in which case the the Rangers are probably not going to be the team he's doing it for, uh, and and there goes all the the value from Joey Gallo. I, I think it's probably more likely that he he does take a few more years to to figure it out. I think it could happen sooner than that, but uh, he might just be the kind of guy where. You know, you need to put him in a – have him face major league pitching. I don't think he's going to learn a ton more from facing AAA pitching. It might be a situation where he needs to, to go through struggles against major league pitching and adapt that way and, and take some growing pains uh, to be able to take that next step forward, which if, if he is struggling and, and you have him in your lineup every day, uh, that's – that would be tough to swallow if, if he is uh, striking out at an at an unreasonable rate. No, that's I mean, that that's really kind of the that's the problem when you are a contending team is that the Rangers cannot give Joey Gallo 400 at bats to figure it out because if he's not figuring it out, uh, they're contending with the Astros. We saw this with with kind of the Astros last year. I had some of these issues, and the Astros faced some of these same issues, which is guy like A.J. Reed, you weren't going to give A.J. Reed 300 at-bats to prove that he can be a big league first baseman. It was, no, we're moving on to Marwin Gonzalez. Is Marwin Gonzalez a first baseman? No, not really, but he's more productive right now than A.J. Reed, so there you go. And that could mean at some point that that does mean that Joey Gallo gets traded to some other team which has the, uh, the A.B.s to, uh, to kind of to spend on a guy like that. And... That I, I kind of, I mean, your your kind of scenario there, where Joey Gallo really succeeds for someone else down the road, uh, it's not an implausible one, especially when you look at a Rangers team that probably should be contending in 17 and 18 as well. He's going to have to hit the ground running at a level that he has not yet been able to do at the big league level to really earn a job in you know with with the Rangers. So I mean, that makes some sense. Now we talked a little bit about Tavares, Mendez, and Gerardo here at two and three on the list. Neither of them is a, a, a wow-you kind of prospect, but both of these are guys who, 
who really I, I kind of could see could help them at some point in 17 because they have kind of advanced feel and they, they have some skills that, that unlike, say, Joey Gallo, may, may allow them to kind of make a, a, a quicker transition to the big league level. Is that fair? Yeah, you're not going to see a ton of guys come up from the Rangers farm system, certainly not with uh, much impact to help in 2017. Uh, but those are two guys who, I mean, Mendez already got to the big league last year. You'll probably see him a lot more. Uh, the you know the Rangers are they they want to keep him as a starter. They see him as a starter, and you know I can understand why. It's it's a pretty easy delivery. Uh, he's got the you know the fastball changeup combination from the left side. It, you know he throws. It's a fastball that doesn't overpower anybody. Although the the velocity did you know tick up a, a little bit this year, where he's more consistently sitting in the low 90s. But he's got that changeup too, where it almost makes hitters swing late on the fastball because they know he has that changeup coming, and and you get a lot of off balance, ugly swings when he throws that changeup. Uh, so when when you have that combination of those two pitches working, uh, he can be extremely effective. He, he throws a lot of strikes. Uh, it's not like it's a, a high maintenance effort delivery. It's it's pretty smooth, pretty free and easy. And the, the question on him is how many how many innings is he going to throw? I mean, this is the first time in his career uh, where he threw more than 100 innings, and he's he's been able to. Uh, to slowly and, and gradually put on weight, but uh, he's got you know he has a history of of missing a lot of innings over the course of his career uh, because the the Rangers have handled him extremely cautiously, uh, and he has had some some arm issues in the past. So can he hold up as a, a starter over a full season's workload? I don't know. It's I'm not saying he he can't start. I, I think he could start, but it's definitely a a risk factor with him in terms of whether he he can hold up over that starter's workload uh, or whether he may end up fitting better in the bullpen. And, and Ariel Hirado is a guy who, again, another guy who's who's not overpowered, very different physically. Uh, yeah. is like He's not as frail. 200. <laughs> yeah, Hirado is a, a, a full-figured uh, pitcher who, um, you know, it's not overpowering type stuff. It's it's a you know two seamer with you know the the pure velocity is probably a tick below average. But when you combine the uh, the movement and and you know I guess it's, it's talking to teams that have the you know that look at him on on their TrackMan system. He, he's uh, supposed to be an extremely high spin rate uh, type guy with with a lot of movement on that pitch. That's that's why you see him get so many ground balls. He just pounds the strike zone, uh, hitters don't get good swings on that fastball. Uh, so he doesn't walk a lot of batters. He, he also doesn't miss a lot of bats, so he doesn't really have a, a swing and miss secondary pitch. I think he's working on that uh, changeup, working on the slider, trying to find something that can be, a, you know, at least reliable average, you know, a couple of things can turn him into reliable average pitches. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot, but it's, it's a lot easier said than done. So, uh, but if he can do that, I think he has a chance to uh, to be a, a back end starter. Maybe because of the the life, the movement on the fastball, maybe and his ability to to command it. Maybe he plays up and, and is able to 
uh, exceed those expectations and, and with his feel for pitching is, is able to do that. But I think he is a guy who, you know, we saw him get to, to double A at the end of the season. Uh, I think he is a guy who has a chance to, you know, in the second half of the season, be able to, to come up in, in Texas and, and help them out in, in their big league rotation and the, in the back of the rotation. You get past them on the, uh, as you said, on the on the top ten, and you get into kind of a, a group of guys who, I, I call it the 50 high line. You know, we have the BA grades in the handbook, and every organization should have guys who have a chance to be big league starters, but they're either, they've got some significant holes to clear up, or they uh, are a long ways away. And that kind of fits the, you know, the, or, or they're a little bit lower ceiling. That kind of fits guys like Andy Abanez. That kind of fits guys like Ronald Guzman. You know, Alex Bees is, is very interesting, but he's got a lot of refinement to, to, to go. Uh, Abanez is interesting to me, obviously, because for one thing, he's, he's a Cuban uh, and kind of started out last year uh, destroying the Sally League, which was kind of expected because he was probably too advanced for the Sally League. But when it's all said and done, kind of, what do you? I mean, what do you think Abanez ends up being? I think he ends up being a member of another organization. <laughs> I mean, he's really limited to second base. I know the Rangers put him at third base. Everybody's you know listening who's a, a Rangers fan or follows the Rangers farm system knows that the Rangers just put their guys all over the field. They'll go to instructs and put Joe Gallo at shortstop. They'll put Jorge Alfaro in in center field. They'll, you know, Ryan Cordell. They'll, they'll move these guys around to all different positions just to give them uh, exposure at at different spots. Uh, they they really believe in in that and, and giving exposure to guys uh, at at other positions. So they they did put him at, at third base a little bit, but he you know he doesn't really have the arm to play over there. Uh, is you know even at second base. He's, uh, he's probably a tick below average defender there, um, and he's, he's certainly not going to be able to play shortstop. So he's, he's limited to second base, and in, well, in a lot of organizations right now, uh, second base is blocked, but in, in the Rangers in particular, with, with Rugnet Odor being under team control for, I think, probably another four seasons or and, so. And being, I believe, younger uh, than Abanez. Yeah, that's uh, and and just I don't think Ibanez is ever going to be as good as Odor either. So he's very blocked there. Uh, unfortunately for him and or for the Rangers, his players of his type of skill set tend to not fetch all that much on the trade market, especially with second base. Uh, you know, a lot of teams are really not looking for a second baseman right now, and historically second basemen who, you know, are not big, you know, big tools guys. Uh, like like Ibanez is not a, a big tools guy, not a lot of flash in his game, tend to not command all that much in trades. So uh, I don't know if, if, if he stays in, in Texas uh, or if his future is, is in the Texas Rangers organization, but this is a very solid player who is, yeah, like you said, being a 23-year-old in, in the South Atlantic League in the low A last year was uh, not much of a, a challenge for him. I, I understand why the Rangers put him there. You're, you're transitioning a guy over, a guy's transitioning over from Cuba 
to United States uh, professional baseball for the first time. There's a lot of things off the field that you know you want to uh, you know make things as simple for a guy in his transition. I think teams still really aren't sure what the what the best practices are in terms of helping Cuban players make that transition mm-hmm. to the United States. So uh, I think there's a lot of different teams that, that approach things very differently, um, and the Rangers are, you know, this is about as, an aggr- as aggressive of a, of a team as you're fine when it comes to prospect assignments, and they went the other way on this, and, and I can understand why they did it, uh, but just from an on-field perspective, yeah, I mean, low A was clearly not much of, of a challenge for him, uh, nor should have been not much of a surprise. I uh, skipped him a level, got to uh, double A, and uh, you know I think he, he struggled there early on, and, and by the end of the season, you could see him start to, to put things together. So it, it's an everyday guy, uh, an everyday second baseman at the major league level. I, I think he's got a a chance to. To, to be that guy, um, I think he is. You know, he, he, the problem is he's he's a he's a fringy defender, uh, like a slightly below average defender for the position. What's going to have to carry him is his bat. I don't think it's an elite bat uh, for the position, but he does have a, a knack for hitting. He's he's got a, a little bit of sneaky power in there, probably 10, 15 type home run hitter. So. Um, I think he's got a, a chance to be an everyday guy. There, there's certainly some risk to, to him getting there. I, I don't see him as any kind of a, a star impact type guy, but I think he has a chance to uh, develop into, into that type of player. And then since then, they've also signed uh, Luis Yonder uh, Lao. And you've emphasized many a time, do not focus on the dollar amount that a player signs for. In 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 Lao's case, one hundred and ten thousand dollars. I mean, by that you would think that this is the guy who's who's going to be lucky to uh, to make a, a a low A team. But I, from having seen him myself, and I know from what you've seen, he's much more than that, is he not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've seen him take I'd have to count <laughs> easily over uh, over a hundred at bats or so when when he was still. In Cuba, now they have a caveat to that. Look, he was at that time when he left, he was 23 years old. Uh, this was the last time I would have seen him. Probably would have been in June 2015. Uh, the season, probably the Cuban season, would have ended, I think, April that year. So, uh, and, and they were in the playoffs, so he would have uh, played in, in that. So, uh, it's been it's been a while since he's been involved in, in competitive game action. And yeah, exactly like you said. This, this he signed for, uh, or he has a deal to sign for one hundred and ten thousand uh, dollars. I don't think that is a, is an accurate reflection of his talent when you look at if both what other Cuban players have signed for, uh, and what just international amateur players in in general have signed for. I, I mean, there's about two hundred thirty or so players on the international market who signed for more money than him there's definitely not there's definitely not 200 better players on the international market than Luis Yonderlo this is a guy who you know there's there's definitely you know the the layoff is uh is part of it and there's other risk factors involved uh with him in terms of the uh you know especially the offensive approach 
but this is a guy who is uh, a, a good athlete who can play. We talked about versatility. He can. He's a. He's an excellent defender at, at third base. I've seen him at, at second base. He he makes good plays over there. Uh, he can. He's got good range. He's got a great arm. Very athletic. Uh, he's still kind of raw, churning the double play, but that's understandable. He's he's mostly been used at at third base, and the the tool set suggests that this guy should be able to play shortstop. He didn't play a lot of that in Cuba, but uh, I think you're going to see him probably go to uh, maybe double A, maybe triple A, and and get some time. At shortstop, uh, you know, we talked about earlier the Rangers putting guys at, at different positions. I think you'll see him play some shortstop, play a lot of third base and and second base too. And I mean, in, in this Rangers farm system, it's to me there's really a clear top four guys in the system. And once you get past that, everyone from about you know five or six to fifteen or so, you can put in. You, you could justify putting in uh, a lot of different orders. And, and to me, Lajo fits into uh, that category. I mean, he's you know a potential top 10 guy in their farm system. And, and to add that player for uh, a really cheap price, I think was a, a, a very smart and, and low-risk move for, for the Rangers. I mean, I can't get over that. I mean, 110, you're talking about a guy who could be a top 10 prospect for them, and he was $110,000. That's... We, we we talked about how Cuban. I mean, it used to it wasn't that long ago that uh, Cuban players were getting massively overpaid, and uh, in many cases, and it now seems like we almost have a market overcorrection the other way in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're seeing. I think mean, the Cuban market is is tricky. There's a lot of you know off field, behind the scenes stuff that really, and guys are just getting terrible. Um, you know, advice and, and representation. I'm not saying uh, in, in a lot of those cases necessarily, but uh, you know, Lo was a guy who changed agents a, a whole bunch of different times. Uh, you, you, but you're seeing, you know, a lot of Cuban players talk to scouts about them, and they'll say, "Yeah, you know, we like this guy for, <laughs> you know, I give him 500 or 800 or a million or whatever it is," and then they go to uh, the player and, and the guy, whoever's handling the player, says, "Oh, we want you know ten million dollars for this guy," and they're like, "Are you out of your mind?" <laughs> this guy Thank you. Is, moving is on, not and worth... then yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. We're moving on. We're going to spend our money elsewhere. We're not even going to bother. You know, why? Why even spend my time watching this guy when uh, you know the player's camp is is so completely, uh, you know delusional in terms of his market value that it's it's just a waste of, of my my scouting time to to go out and, and stay on watching this guy when you know we're not going to sign him for any anything near the price that they're looking for and and I kind of understand to, to some degree where some of the Cuban you know the the, the players in, in the in, in the or the guys in the camp who are representing these Cuban players are saying well if you know, the Dodgers signed Pablo Mian Fernandez for $8 million, and Pablo Mian Fernandez is in, was at the time basically no better than an, an organizational guy who got $8 million. Well, my guy had better numbers than him, so he should get $10 million. But that's 
just not how it works. So uh, you have these Cuban players who are, some of them are just getting horrible uh, management and, and horrible advice from uh, the people who are, are representing them, and, and you're seeing them take massive uh, discounts from from what the market otherwise would offer if they had uh, better and, and competent people who were uh, advising them who had better understanding of, of the market. And then I think also from the team's perspective, there there is an overreaction to to some extent where you know you, you have the people making decisions ultimately on these players are uh, about whether to, to sign these guys or especially the, the higher price guys or guys who are looking for more money are our owners and general managers and in general those you know those constituencies are not uh, people who are very well informed about uh, the international market or Cuban players uh, specifically and and I think they're looking at guys like Rusne Castillo uh, or to an extent just my Tomas uh, Hector Oliveira even with some of the younger players uh, Roberto Baldacchini, Yolan Lopez, seeing some of the guys who haven't worked out and way overreacting. When look, every market there's going to be <laughs> there's going to be successes, there's going to be massive bargains, uh, there's going to be guys who are overpaid. You know, for all the guys who just mentioned who haven't worked out, there's also Jonas Cespedes and Aroldis Chapman and Jose Abreu and. Uh, Aledmus Diaz has turned into a, a huge bargain for the Cardinals. There's been, you know, it's been a mixed bag. It's sort of like the major league free agent market where you're going to sign some guys who end up being great deals and other guys, whether it's Pablo Sandoval or Jason Hayward or James Shields, who end up being very quickly, uh, you know, within the you know, before the end of the, the first year of that contract, those contracts look like disasters. But teams don't overreact and say, oh, we're never going to sign a, you know, another high-priced major league free agent again. Now it's a little bit different than it was, you know, five, ten years ago. I think teams are, are more hesitant to give out those, you know, eight, nine-year contracts or, or especially longer contracts for a pitcher. But I do think there is some overreaction from teams, especially at the, you know, at the ownership GM level, to to invest in uh, in, in Cuban players, especially for um, you know guys who aren't the, the younger up and coming uh, type prospect. Not that Lao is all that old, and he just turned 25 in uh, in December. But I do think there is some. And there's a lot of different factors for why we've seen prices drop on a guy like Lao or, or Jose Miguel Fernandez, uh, but I, I think it's uh, I think those are two two big ones that contribute to to why that's been. Well, looking past the the, the Rangers top ten, is there anyone that jumps out to you as a guy who's further down on that list that's kind of a keep an eye on because this guy could really emerge in in 2017 and beyond. Yeah, I mean, the two guys I, I think have probably the most breakout potential uh, from that group. Like I was saying before, it's you know really anywhere from six to five or six to fifteen or sixteen. You can make uh, a pretty compelling argument to put them in uh, just about any order. But I think the two guys who have a chance to 
really take a big step forward for them uh, either next year or at some point in the, in the next couple of years or a couple of kids that they and, and they're still kids because they're still uh, you know 17 uh, years old but um, our David Garcia a catcher uh, and Miguel Aparicio an outfielder uh, David Garcia they signed last year out of uh, Venezuela he was the top catching prospect on the international market. Uh, again, another example of, you know, he signed for $800,000, which is a good bonus, but um, another example of the, the bonus is not necessarily a reflection yeah. uh, of, a, of a player's value. I mean, the Braves signed Abraham Gutierrez for you know, $3.53 million dollars, uh, he's another Venezuelan catcher, and just about every international scout I talked to last year preferred Garcia to uh, Abraham Gutierrez. He was pretty clearly the the number one catcher on the international market last year. It was a, a great job by the Rangers being able to to get on him early and and evaluate him, and then ultimately sign him for for a very good price. This is a guy who's going to stick behind the plate he is you know it's it's not a uh, a cannon arm although the arm did improve after he signed that's what happens a lot when you sign kids who are 16 years old so uh, he, but he projects to stick behind the plate and uh, really offense his offensive game is, is his calling card uh, he's a, a switch hitter uh, pretty short easy swing uh, a lot of a lot of line drives not a not a big power guy, but uh, he's got a, a knack for hitting, and he's he's going to stick behind the plate. Uh, you know, to have Jose Trevino in the system ahead of him, he's uh, an interesting catcher too. Who's you know uh, you know a, a premium defender has really worked his way to become a, a premium defensive catcher. But I, I think Garcia has a lot more offensive upside than Trevino, and, and then Miguel Aparicio, uh, another Venezuelan player, they actually came out of the same program in Venezuela uh, and, and another good example where the price is not necessarily uh, indicative of the talent. I mean, $500,000 is still one of the, the bigger bonuses, but I know there were teams that uh, liked him for, uh, you know, liked him for a lot more than, than what he got and thought that was one of the, the better values and the better signings of the year uh, when the Rangers signed him in 2015. Uh, you know, they signed him and Leone Tavares that year. He's probably always going to get compared to. Yeah, he's probably always going to get compared to uh, Tavares, uh, but he's he's not. I think they're similar only in the sense of you know they're very they're very well-rounded players and they're very you know, smart, high baseball IQ type guys, very good instincts for the game. But <clears throat> Tavares has you know one Tavares is bigger, and two he's. He's just more explosive. Tavares is a quick twitch guy who, who has a lot of explosiveness and, and just a lot of tools in everything he does. Aparicio has he has solid tools. I mean, you know, Tavares is a, a plus runner. Aparicio is, you know, maybe uh, you know, he's not. I don't even think he's an average runner. He's probably a tick below average in terms of his speed, but. His instincts are so good that I uh, think he, he's got a chance to to stay in center field, even though he he isn't a burner. But uh, really, this guy has uh, just a knack for 
for hitting. It's a pretty short, easy swing. He has a good approach to, to hitting for his age. He's coming off of a, a good season in the Dominican Summer League. I think he's going to jump over probably, I, in almost every other team's case, I would say probably come to uh, the Complex League and in Arizona League. But it's, it's the Rangers, so you never know when they might. Uh, I see him in Hickory. The, uh, yeah, you never know when they might step on the accelerator with him. But he'll, he'll probably come over to the Arizona League this year. And uh, I think you're going to see him probably get some more attention once some more pro scouts are, are able to, to get eyes on him out there in Arizona. But, I, it, again, it's, it's not the system that it's been, but it is one that you look at and say, okay, there are some young guys who a year or two from now, this, I mean, as you said, Tavera's the top 100 guy probably right now, but he's not going to be too high because – you kind of want to see a little bit of what he's going to do in full season ball, and uh, that he. But he's a guy who a year from now could be much higher on top of the top hundred list because if he does pretty much what he's done so far, but he does it in full season ball, that that's just adding a, a significant amount to the track record for him to go with the the very loud tools. As you said, there are some other guys at the lower levels, and again, there's also going to be a couple of guys who are non-traditional prospects and and La O being obviously an example of that as a 25 year old so it'll be interesting to see where this Rangers farm system goes over the next year obviously some more of these guys could be headed elsewhere because you know it's it's a tough division uh the Astros continue to get better as well so I mean it's that that uh rivalry uh just continues to get better and better the Angels Still have Mike Trout and clearly have to have to be in it to go for it because they don't have the farm system to rebuild and they don't have the uh, and, and you know if you have Mike Trout you're trying to go for it. Seattle's going for it and it really kind of leaves Oakland as the only team that you kind of say maybe he's not in uh, playoff contention as we uh, you know as we begin the 2017 season. It should be fascinating to see kind of you know where this goes in 2017, but. Uh, but then the, I did want to, you know, kind of wrap up on this. You mentioned about uh, uh, Jose uh, Luis Fernandez as well. It, is it, so it's a little bit off topic, but you wrote about him uh, just recently. Is it possible that the Dodgers actually got a uh, a Cuban bargain? Oh, I think definitely. For I mean, two hundred thousand dollars. What kind of player is that going to get you in in any other uh, avenue? Not you're not going to get a, a ton of upside, um, or, or, or it just it doesn't buy you all that much on uh, on the market. But in, in this case, uh, it does. And, and look, I mean, Jose Miguel Fernandez. We talked about all the other issues that uh, Cuban players, you know, have faced in terms of trying to sign. You can add another year onto the timeline. Or, or, or another year on for him just because of, of what he went through in Cuba. He tried to leave Cuba in, I think it was October 2014, and then uh, was unsuccessful doing that and was suspended from playing and stayed in Cuba for a while. A lot of times somebody gets caught, well, all right, you figure they're just going to try to leave again very soon. And that didn't happen with Fernandez. He just stuck around Cuba for for a while and wasn't able to play. Um, it's, you know, we're looking at a guy who's now had a layoff of competitive baseball, at least in Cuba, for 
uh, for a couple of years. He, he did play a little bit uh, in in winter ball in the Dominican Republic, and obviously, you know, since he's been in the Dominican Republic uh, over the past uh, year plus, he's been you know training and and playing baseball just just not in a competitive environment, but. This is the kind of guy who, if, if you watch him in a showcase, there's not really going to be anything that stands out about him. I mean, you go watch Yoan uh, Cespedes' workout, and you're going to see uh, a guy who has speed and an incredible arm, uh, incredible raw power. Uh, Jose Abreu, you're going to see enormous raw power. Uh, you're going to see the same thing from Gismani Tomas, or, or if you see Rusty Castillo, you're going to see a guy who can – who can fly, and you know after he excuse me after he left Cuba, uh, saw his power increase. So you see those guys in a showcase. You know whatever you, you think of them as a player, you're going to see things that immediately jump out to you. Whereas if you're watching Jose Miguel Fernandez in a showcase, I mean there's not really any tool that's going to jump out at you. He's not. He's a slow runner. He is not a big power guy. I mean, there's there's some power there, enough for him to hit, you know, eight to ten, eight to twelve type home runs over a, a full season, but nothing that's going to blow you away in in batting practice. Uh, even the the swing itself, it's it's a short swing, but there's some kind of unconventional elements to uh, to it to a certain degree, especially if you're not used to watching a lot of you know Cuban hitters and, and the Cuban style of hitting and defensively it's, it's he's certainly not anything flashy over at at second base or i know he's played some some third base too um you know he's eaten in fact he's not a he's not a good defender <laughs> at either position but uh, his strengths are that he rarely swings and misses uh, he has excellent plate coverage very good hand-eye coordination uh, hangs in well against left-handed pitching uh, and he has outstanding feel for the strike zone. He's a very disciplined hitter. And if you're going in and, and watching a, a showcase, even if it's you know you're having your you know you bring him into your academy in the Dominican Republic, and you're having your your pro arms uh, throw to him, it's it's you're not going to get probably probably not going to get a great feel for. Uh, this guy's strengths and, and what he can bring to the table, uh, which are his, you know, the back control and, and the strike zone discipline, and the ability to to get on base. Now, there's there's obviously it's just in terms of purely a performance standpoint, there's there's some risk there uh, because it's, there's not a lot of power in in his bat and, and the defense. I think he's, he's going to give runs back in the field, but it's it's for two hundred thousand dollars a chance for a guy to uh, to have somebody who's again it's hard to see like, typically I would say major league ready second baseman it's hard to say that when the guy has missed so much time away from baseball over over the past couple of years that throws a different uh, wrinkle into it but this guy I would think would go probably straight to Triple uh, A, obviously the the Dodgers are going to have Willie Calhoun, I would think, in Triple A too. So maybe that um, you know affects things somewhat in terms of his assignment. But uh, somebody is should be major league ready very quickly uh, and was major league ready at least at, at his peak in Cuba. 
uh, a couple of seasons ago. Uh, I think that's uh, a tremendous price for for the Dodgers to be able to add that caliber of, of player to the organization for them. No, that, that was an interesting, obviously a fascinating signing. And hey, it, the Dodgers spent so much money in Cuba that I guess it was almost like they they, de- they deserved to get a bargain at some point. Unfortunately for uh, for Fernandez, but but good for them. But well, thank you for joining us, uh, Ben. For Ben Badler, I'm JJ Cooper. Thank you for another download of the Baseball America podcast, and we'll be back tomorrow. I believe we're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk A's tomorrow, and we may even do an extra Saturday podcast this week to try to get through the West because we've still got Astros to go as well. So for Ben Badler, I'm JJ Cooper. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.